Well, good morning. Great to be with you. If you can't understand my accent, not much I can do about that, but hang in there with me. This morning, we were going to do things a little bit differently. Uh, we were going to, Paul was going to kick us off, but I just felt with, um, given the prophetic word that uh, Paul came and shared, that, that letting go of the, the, limp, the limp mode, the, the thing that holds us back, I felt this morning that God really wanted to remind us of who we are. One of the biggest difficulties as you're giving yourself to the things of God is you can actually, in the midst of it, gradually begin to lose your identity. You begin to lose who you are, who God intended you to be. And I believe this time, even this, this poise for possession or a position for possession, prophetic word that has come through, I believe part of that is God helping us to remember who we are, to remember who He's called us to be, to remember who He is. Because in the midst of a battle, it's too easy to lose sight of that at times. So this morning, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. I believe God wants to remind us of who we are. He wants to establish that in us, help to undo a few things in our lives, maybe in our ministry that are holding back what God wants to do, and then really begin to launch us out into the future that He has planned. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. We're going to read a breadth of scripture here. I'm not going to have time to break it down for you, but just hear what the Word of God is saying over us. Starts out when this is Paul speaking to the church in Ephesus, a key church at that time, an early church. And as we know, reading through it, the, the things in the book of Ephesians are incredible for teaching us how to walk this walk, how to be the church that God's called us to be. But we also know in the book of Revelation, the first church that, God, that Jesus addresses is the church in Ephesus. It's lost its love. So somewhere in there, they lost sight of what it was all about. But as we read this, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So any of you that think that God just found you along the way and picked you up, friends, he chose you. He picked you before you were born, before the creation of the world for his purposes and for his plans. And especially for younger generations, you have to know your identity will never be found out there. Your identity is secured in who God made you to be. He knit you together in your mother's womb to be exactly who you are for the purpose that he's called you to. It says, in love, not in purpose, not in plan, but in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood. Friends, no matter what your past holds through the blood of Jesus Christ, you have been redeemed. Even the worst of things God can take and use for the good. Can't tell you how many times God has taken my foolishness of my past and redeemed it to bring someone else into his kingdom. Very hard not to preach on each of these. In him we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. Carrying on verse 11, it says, in him we were also chosen. Friends, you didn't just end up in God's kingdom. You didn't get saved and then God said, well, we better figure out what to do with this one. He chose you purposefully for the things that he created you to do. There is no wandering around to try and figure it out. Seek his face. Seek him. Know him, and you'll know why he made you. 
In him we were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are in God's possession to the praise of his glory. When you come to Christ, the Spirit of God dwells within you. You become his temple, and it is a deposit of God guaranteeing what's to come into eternity. But friends, may I say also guaranteeing the things he has for us between now and when he takes us home. For this reason, verse 15, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And that's Paul's apostolic heart. And let me tell you as a team, we cry out for this nation. We cry out for these churches. We love you, even though it's my first time ever in this nation. It doesn't take too long to begin to fall in love with the people of this nation and what God has for this place. I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power, friends is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. And I don't think we could be reminded enough that the Spirit of God, the one that raised Jesus from the dead after three days in a tomb, after being crucified, after his physical body being ripped apart and buried away, that same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead and gave him victory over sin and victory over death, friends, dwells within us. Surely God has a greater plan than to save us and put us in a seat until we die. Amen? There's more to this thing. And I believe that's what God wants to help us to grasp again. You with me? I hope so because I'm moving on anyway. So just a couple things to assess our walk with God. And this can apply if you're a church leader. This can apply if you're uh, trying to figure out who God's called you to be in the life of your church, young and old. Number one, just, and I'll throw these out there. Have we begun to hope that at least the regular people will be at church and lost sight of new faces showing up? It's a sign that we may have become, instead of a conqueror, an occupier. We've, we've settled in, we've, we've found our place, and we've begun to identify with at least the regulars will be there. I had the privilege of leading a church for 17 and a half years. And let me tell you, there were times... When you, and it's, it's not that you don't celebrate the people that are there, but you almost just hope at least they show up to hear you preach. And some of you lead churches know what I'm talking about. That can be a sign that you've moved from the place of taking ground to the place of just holding on. You see, in the United States, we have, many of you know, maybe bits and pieces of our armed forces. We have the Army, Navy, the Air Force, and the Marines. The Air Force and the Navy are support from the, from the ground and from the air, or from the water and from the air. And the, the army is our occupying force. But the force that we send in when it's time to take ground, the force that after 9-11, when we began to go into our, um, to Afghanistan and then into Iraq, 
The force we sent in wasn't our occupying force. It wasn't our support. We sent in the Marine Corps. And the, the, the church that I led for all those years is right next to a Marine base, Kent Pendleton, one of the largest in the United States. So I had the privilege and the pain of walking a lot of those incredible heroes through coming back home after facing war. Well, the Marines were known. They, in World War I, the Germans called them the hounds of hell or the devil dogs. It's where they got their reputation because the Germans just said it seemed like they never stopped coming. They just could not be stopped. It was like they were a force from hell, which obviously we don't want to be that. But friends, the point is, is the Marines are a force that go in and they take ground. They're sent in as the strike force. They're sent to drive the enemy back and to secure the ground so that the forces, the occupiers can come in behind them. And one of the mistakes the government made is somewhere around 2004, 2005, we had a different administration that didn't understand the, the purposes of our military. And because we were spread so thin, they began to say, you know what, the Marines are already there, so just have them stay and occupy the ground. Well, friends, let me tell you, when you take a conquering force and tell them to occupy ground, it's not a good mix. Some of the biggest difficulties we had, one of the greatest struggles was for Marines to try and sit there and occupy ground when they're made to take ground. They're not made to sit there and work stuff out and, and compromise and listen. They are made to take out the enemy and make sure that he doesn't get back up again. And I don't want to compare us to a military force, but I want us to understand we were never made to be those who come in and occupy ground and hold on. God has called His church, His people to take ground, not to come against the people, not to come against the culture, but to come against the principalities and the powers that have set themselves up against the knowledge of God. And let me tell you, New Zealand, though I love to see what the church is doing, there is some ground to be taken. There are some principalities to be taken down. There are some lives to be changed. There are some nations to be reached. And he's called us, not his occupying force, but his conquering force, to go forth in the power that raised Jesus from the dead and to begin to take souls for the kingdom. Amen? Are we beginning to focus our ministry on the members instead of making sure that we have the evangelistic and prophetic edge that God calls for when we gather? When we come together as the church, are we just kind of like, well, it's about us? Have our sermons become about the, the things within our, our family instead of keeping the vision big and keeping the eyes out there for what God wants to do? Because if it has become that for you, if it's become, as a member or a leader, if it's become that way, friends, chances are you've slid over to being an occupier. Have we adjusted in our meetings to the natural stuff? Got our plan. We're going to do this many songs, we're going to give some announcements, we're going to take up tithes and offerings, we're going to preach, we're going to do a closing song, we'll shake hands, have coffee, everybody goes home. Surely Jesus died for more than that. But you see the difference between a conqueror, a conqueror knows he needs power. And friends, the power that we've been given is the power of the Spirit of God. We cannot have meetings that are simply natural and planned and neat and tidy. And if we get used to that and that's what we have and that's what we're secure in, odds are we've become a bit of an occupier. Are we simply doing the minimum instead of going above and beyond? In other words, do we have the minimum amount of meetings and the minimum amount of activities and the minimum amount of training and just enough to feel like we're doing church stuff? If we're doing church stuff, may I say, cancel it and let God remind you of the force that you are. 
Some of you in here may be leaders of churches of hundreds, and some of you may be leaders of churches of tens. But let me tell you, the special forces, the elite ones, the smaller groups are needed just as much as the bigger to do that which God has called them to do. If God has kept the church that you're leading small in number for this season, there's a reason and a purpose behind it. But you won't find it if you're occupying ground. You'll only find it if you begin to take ground. Are we starting to act on what is instead of what's to come? Our plans and our purposes and our meetings and what we do, is it, is it all around now or is it still with that vision for the ground we're taking and the people we're reaching and the places we, we're yet to go? Have we begun to just pay the bills? Just getting by, paying the bills and, and, and kind of cut God off or we're not giving friends generosity is a sign of going. Has our prayer life become reasonable? Lord, help me to pay the bills. Lord, help the same people to at least keep coming. Lord, help the sound system to work. Lord, give me a word. Friends, our, our prayers are praying to the God of the impossible. You need to pray for nations. You need to pray for churches. You need to pray for drug addicts. You need to pray for broken families. We need to pray for those that seem so far gone from God that they could never be reached because our prayers were never meant to be reasonable. They were meant to be prayers for the impossible things that only He could do. Because often if God answered the reasonable prayers we pray, guess who would get the glory? When God begins to be able to answer unreasonable, ridiculous, crazy, impossible prayers, all they can do is say, well, it sure isn't you. It's got to be God. Have we become content where we are with God personally? Never. This is a journey from the time he saves you to the time he takes you home of growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Salvation is not going to church. Salvation is knowing Him. And through knowing Him, He perfects you into His image. But have you gotten it down to, I read for 10 minutes, I pray for 10 minutes, I give, and I'm off? Or do you just spend time with Him? Have we started to base our steps, the steps we take, the choices we make on our experiences instead of God's promises? Well, church, we've done this and it didn't work, so. Or God told us, God called us, God destined us, God placed us here. And though it hasn't worked before, he's still God, he's still called us, and we're going to carry on in what he's called us to do. Let us be the hounds of heaven. If the enemy looks and says, man, those guys just don't stop coming. Have we started to worry more about how we look than about how people perceive God? You know what? If your church has 20 people in it and you're doing everything God has called you to do, who cares what people think? God is pleased because you are doing the most important thing you could ever do. And I want to encourage you in that, but I want to challenge you in that because it challenged me. I led a church in a place called Orange County, California, where the, the mega church model was birthed. And it was all about names and prestige and all these things. And the pressure was constantly on me to live up to something that I couldn't live up to. 
And I, went, I remember going through a season, and thankfully it was a very short one, where I began to, to worry about what I looked like and how this happened and how did this sound. And, and I just felt God say, my boy, it doesn't matter. Because in the end, you get to where you think you please them, and it's still not going to please them. Please me. Honor me. Point them to me. And our church was never known as the biggest church in town, but it was known as the church that prays, the church that believes, the church that sees miracles, the church where people's lives are changed, the church that is ingrained in its city, and the city is better because we're there. And he is glorified. Sorry, that sounded like a boast. I apologize. Have we made it about us instead of the king and his kingdom? My church, my thing, I prefer this song, I prefer that, I prefer this. Let it be about God. Let it be about His kingdom. Let it be about glorifying Him. Let it be about going where He leads and preaching what He leads us to preach and honoring Him above all. And the last on the list is, are we building by our preferences rather than God's leading and wisdom? I'd like to hear this. I'd like to preach on this. This is the latest book. These are the latest songs. Instead of Holy Spirit. What would you have me say? What does this nation need to hear? Lord, what songs will glorify you? Father, do you want me to preach at all this morning? Do you want us to sing anything, or should we just stand in awe of you for an hour? People won't like it. People won't respond to it. People will get upset by it. People will complain. But, Lord, what do you want? Because that's what we're here for. It takes courage. It takes courage to be a conqueror. So a few simple things. Not new, just reminders. How do we become the courageous church? How do we get our identity back and, and make sure we stay on course with what God has for us? How do we make sure that the, the break is off and we are running at full speed in what God's called us to? First of all, and I, I did these alliterated because our team leader does that and it just does help you to remember what they are. So these are going to be P's. And I'll, it's anointed, right? As soon as it's alliterated, it's anointed. It's some, somewhere in the book of Tyron. Um, number one, promote Jesus. Promote Jesus. You want to be a ground taker, conquering force. Don't promote man. Don't promote your church. Don't promote NCMI. Don't promote yourself. Promote Jesus. Lift up Jesus. Glorify Jesus. It is no other name by which anyone is saved. It's the name at which demons tremble and flee. The name of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the mercy of Jesus. I am only here because of his grace and because someone, instead of preaching what my tickle ears wanted to hear in my lost state, they preached Jesus and it offended me and it came against me and it set me free. Friends, we want to be conquerors. We want to be courageous. We want to be ground takers. Promote Jesus. Is everyone going to like it? No way. Because flesh hates the things of God. But that's the very force they need to meet in order to be set free. Friends, you preach Jesus, people are set free. Why give them anything else? He is victorious. He is faithful. He is able. He is forgiving. He is committed. He is good. He loves us. And when you look at the way that Jesus lived, and to be honest, he was a rebel against the things that sometimes 
we don't understand. He was a rebel against the spiritual realm. He was a rebel against the religious things. He rebelled against many things in the world that we get confused in because we would go in a different direction. That's why it's so important that we preach Jesus and not methods and strategies of man. Because he radically loved people and drove the religious crazy. He touched the leper that no one would touch, a man isolated from his family and his friends to live out by a garbage heap, to never see them or touch them again. And Jesus came and not only healed him, but touched him before he said a word because he was radical in his love. The world needs to see a people who are radical in the right way. Preach and promote Jesus. Number two, pray for the impossible. It's okay to pray for, Lord, give me, help me to have a good day. Lord, bless my marriage. Lord, help me to pay the bills. Those things are fine because they're reality. They're your responsibility. Be free to, to lay those before the Father. But once, if we stay there, it becomes the Santa Claus list instead of the time with the Father. Give Him the things on your heart. Absolutely. He's good. He relishes time with us, but friends, he is also the God of the great and the impossible and the overwhelming. So ask him for New Zealand. Ask him for the Cook Islands. Ask him for every island around here. Ask him for the Middle East. Ask him to tear down the walls of the lies of a demonic religion from the inside out by the force of the gospel and the force of the love of Christ. Ask him for people to wake in their dreams to go to some door and knock on it because it's a church and they're going to tell them about Jesus. Ask him for the sick to be healed and the dead to be raised and lives to be changed and marriages to be restored. Ask him for the impossible things. To be a conqueror, we need the power of the conqueror behind us. And it comes in the times of prayer. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived are the things that God has prepared for those who love him. You can even pray, Lord, I have no idea what to pray, but God, come and be God. Number three, pour out resources. Give generously. You want to be a conqueror, stop holding on to what you have and give it to the Father. You cannot outgive him. Tithe, yes. But give offerings in the life of your church. If you're a part or a member of a local church, then give into that. But then say, how can I give more? How can I give to the nations? And how can I give of myself? And how can I give of my skills? And how can I go out and change my community with what God has given to me? Conquer with the skills and the giftings that God has given you. You may not be a preacher, but we can't have less than 1% of the people the only ones doing anything. We need the electricians and the school teachers and the baristas. We really need the baristas. And we need, <laughs> we need those on the streets going out there in the things of God, giving of themselves and giving of their abilities and giving of their resources. Number four, pursue Jesus personally. All of this sounds great, but if it doesn't begin and end with the foundation of you being saturated in his presence, glorifying him, loving him, honoring him, hearing him, spending time with him, then it is of no value. And you will find yourself out there in the midst of thinking you're a conqueror and being lost. But in him, he leads the way. He guides, he encourages. When you're down, he picks you up. When you're up top, he reminds you that he's in charge. All of those things that are needed from time with the king.
Jesus didn't die again so that we could go to church or, or just slide into heaven. He died so that those separated from him could be restored into relationship with him forever. Don't waste it. I love my wife like crazy, and I love hanging. She's my favorite person, and I love spending time with her. But if I don't love time with him more than I do with her, I'll be of no value to her anyway. Make him your number one. Number five, plan for more. Plan for more. This is for all of us, but certainly for those of us who lead churches. Plan for more. Faith moves mountains, and our actions declare what we're believing for. You know what? If you have 70 chairs out and you have 65 people, well, let me encourage you. Put out 90 chairs. You know, you think, well, it's just chairs, Chris. No, it isn't. You're declaring to the heavens. You're declaring to yourself. You're declaring to your people. These empty chairs need to be filled, not so that I have more numbers, but so that the lost can be saved and the saved can be trained and make disciples and sent out to the ends of the earth. More visitors, more chairs, more food. My wife always did this. She'd prepare some food, and me and my bold, courageous state would say, babe, that's too much food. There's not that many people. And she'd look at me and go, but there's going to be more. And she'd bake double. She'd make more. She'd put stuff out. It just always reminded me of the bigness of the God we serve and the plans and purposes he has. Uh, believe for more impact. Believe more for your coworkers, influence in the community, your family, those you've been praying for and have not yet seen saved. Keep believing for them. Keep praying for them. Keep reaching out to them. Believe for more leaders. Do, leaders, do more training and equipping of those you have because the, the preparation of leadership prepares a mold for more. If it's just you and your wife, there's a limit to how much God's going to be able to do in that. But if you begin to train and equip and disciple and raise up, and suddenly you have 10 leaders and you have 10 people in your church, guess what? Your church is ready for more. Prepare, train, and equip. Give toward the not yets and the possibilities. If you don't have a church planting fund, get one. And if you put $10 in it, it is saying, God, we believe this church is called to be a church planting church, a base church to give to the things of the nations. Amen? Amen. Not too many of you embrace that one. Hmm. Number six, promote others. Take risks, smart ones, but risk. God risked with you. He risked with me. Risk with others. All generations. Train, equip, give people opportunity. If it has to be your way, you are limiting what God wants to do. Be a conqueror and bring others along with you. In the military, they train up the guy behind for the guy's position in front. Just in case in the field he's taken out, they can rise up into it. Friend, train up others to take your place. So when God calls you elsewhere, they're ready to go. Partner with, number seven, partner with and embrace the apostolic team. How is that helping us in the way of being a conqueror? Well, the apostolic, the outside in, reminds us of the journey we're on together around the globe. It reminds us and keeps us on course so we don't become inward and don't become small in our thinking. It keeps the bigger before us, and it helps us to be equipped to take ground. What does it mean to, 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 <clears throat> to partner with? Well, it means give. It means come. You're all at this equip. This is part of the apostolic work to train and equip this region 
to reach its region and the ends of the earth. Give toward it. Pray for it. Go. Be a part of it. Get to equips in other nations. Make sure you get to South Africa next year, October 2020, and see the bigness of what God is doing. Not to glorify NCMI or any man, but to glorify God and to stir up the things that are yet to come. Number eight, the promises that he's given. Remember what God has promised. Don't let time or endurance rob you of the promises of God. What has God said over your life? What has God said over your church? What has God said over your region? What has God said over your nation? What has God said over the, the nations of the earth? Don't let the promises slip away. Number nine, remember the price that he paid. Dwell upon the cross and upon what Jesus has done. and Let it stir you to keep on keeping on. Number 10, the passion of Christ. Remember the lost that are yet to be saved. We were just in Nelson and chatting with Mark and Colette about how many churches are in the town and all that. And we collectively figured that probably uh, generously 5,000 people there go to church. There are 60,000 people in that town. That is 55,000 people that need Jesus, friends. Just when you think, I've got all I can have, there are 55,000 more people just in that region that need Jesus Christ. Let us be conquerors and not just occupy space. Number 11, and the last one, persist. Keep on keeping on. As the book of the writer of Hebrews reminds us, don't grow weary in well-doing. For at the proper time, you will reap a harvest. Friends, we are called to great things, but we're not called to sit and hold on. We are called to rise up and take ground. And let me tell you, we will always be, in essence, that marine force, the ground takers. We will never be an occupying force because our job will not be done until Jesus comes back. Let's get on with that which he's called us to. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you.